Welcome back to a new episode of Secret City Vision Drip. Today we're talking about something that you may have wondered about in, in the past. Maybe you still do. Um, you wonder about it and, and sometimes it comes to your mind and then you put it off and you just sort of keep moving on and then every once in a while it'll kind of pop back up and just looking for a solid answer. And, and I think a lot of times this question gets exposed. In fact, I would say this is when it got exposed for me was when I was in college and I was taking a comparative religions class. Um, it's something that a lot of state schools or public schools do. Um, and even, even Christian schools will sort of put out all of the different worldviews and religions and sort of look at them and examine, um, each one and, and search for what is most true, what is most accurate. And one of the things that's always sort of undergirding this conversation has to do with um, the reliability of the Bible. Asking the question, how do I know I can trust the Bible? There are a lot of different holy books or, or sacred writings throughout the world that different religions recognize. You've got the Book of Mormon. Um, you, you have the Quran. You have, um, let's see, th- there are Bible translations that are unique to certain, I would call them cults. Um, but the Bible, we wonder like, how, how is it one that we got it and how do I know I can trust it? Um, and so one of the things that we are unapologetic about at Sacred City is that we are a, a reformed church. Uh, and with that, we hold to the belief of sola scriptura. Um, and so we believe in the inerrancy of scripture, um, that there are no errors in, in the original manuscripts when God um, departed his word to man to write down. Um, he did so perfectly. He, he worked in a way that everything uh, was was kept intact in the way that he wanted to, to be kept intact. And it's also sufficient for all matters that scripture is not just inerrant, containing no errors, but it's sufficient that it it touches on all matters of life in salvation and in day-to-day life. Um, and so we have a high re- regard for the scriptures, and, and I hope that's evident in one in our Sunday gatherings, the way that we use the scriptures, um, even in our missional communities, the way that um, even our, our curriculums um are, are designed to, be, to, to just orbit around biblical truths, scriptures, and bring us back into the Word of God, and then the act of actually applying the Word of God uh, to one another. We call it gospeling um, in the everyday rhythms and stuff of life where, you know, um, where our faith is, is getting worked out, and we need to come back to God's Word to see what the truth is and how the truth uh, must be our North Star that gives us the guidance and the instruction and, and again, is sufficient for all matters, both in salvation and in life. And when you make a claim like that, um, claiming to the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, um, you, you may wonder, how is it that Christians can be so confident uh, to base our lives on the Bible? How is it that we can be um, so sure that the Bible is trustworthy, that it's reliable, um, that we can stake our entire lives on it? And and a lot of times, you, you know, that I, I don't, I don't think that's a bad question to entertain. Like we, we ought to have a reason. We ought to be able to give a defense for why we believe what we believe and why we believe the scripture is so reliable. And, um, and a lot of times Christians are unaware of how to answer that. Um, I think we have a general disposition of, of, 
uh, trust of, of, of the, well, it, this is kind of a hard thing to, to splice here because on one hand, you've got people that will generally like they, they love the Lord and, and they're like, I, I take that as God's word and I'm willing to, to build my life on this and, and not, you know, question it. It's, it, it I think it is an act of faith to do so. And then you have people that are like, well, you know, I see this as, you know, it could be helpful, but you know, we've got modern day, um, information that has helped to expose that maybe this isn't actually, uh, as true as what previous generations thought it was. And, and a lot of times that, that skepticism or, or, um, that, I don't know, it, it's, it's maybe a, a reluctance of total reliance, um, gets poked on in some apologetic conversations where um, you have skeptics of the faith or non-believers that want to um, sort of expose or, or really what they frame it up as, as they want to make it look so silly that you believe in the Bible. Um, and and it, it, it might be, I think, and, and sometimes it's malicious. I think that there are there are legitimate um, attempts to undermine faith. I think that there are are people out there that that find pleasure in um, you know kicking dirt in the face of Christians. Um, and then I think that there are other people that are genuinely questioning and and wondering, okay, answer me this. Um, and, and if we can answer it, may, maybe we can win them over to understand things the way that we do or view the Bible the way that we do. And and so you get a lot of skeptics who throw a bunch of claims in the face of Christians, like thinking that these are some kind of trump card to get Christians to to doubt the Bible. They say, well, you know, things like, isn't the Bible anti-science and 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 um, the Bible's full of contradictions and it's full of errors. It's been hyper edited and and they say things like it's been translated so many times that there's there's no way to rely on it. So we're so, so far removed from the original source. And so they they throw out all these things. And and I, what I want to do today is is because I do think that this is really important conversation. It's 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 an apologetic conversation in some sense um, of how do you refute these these claims, uh, but also it's a conversation that ought to instill a, a great deal of trust, um, even more than what we had before in, in God's word. Um, and so I wanted to tackle this idea of like, how can I trust the Bible? How, how can I open up the Bible and know that this is God's word, that it's true, that it will be true, um, not just back then when it was written, but it's true today and it will forever be true. Um, and so I want to help us sort of like deepen our our dependence, deepen our our confidence um, in the Word of God. And I had been thinking about this. Um, you know, I, this is something. This is a question that I come back to often because I really do think that um, a lot of the squabbles in in the Christian, specifically in the evangelical world, um, come back to people just not really having a lot of trust in the Bible. Um, they trust it, trust the Bible and what it says about. Sc- uh, salvation, maybe of like the fact that Jesus did die, um, for sins that he was nailed on a cross. He was buried for three days and then resurrected by the power of God and is now seated at the right hand of the father. I think, you know, we trust that part. Um, but then there's other stuff like you get into, 
uh, matters of government, of, of, of how, what the Bible talks about with government and how um, civil society should be ordered in a way that pleases God. And, and really even, even the bigger question of, is that something that Christians should be concerned about? Um, things of, of the household, of, of you know, who should really be the head of the house? What are some of the biblical um, roles of husbands and wives? What are, what are the things that we ought to be doing with our children and parenting, um, whether it be in discipline and instruction, education, things of that nature? And so there, there are these places, I think there, there are gaps in a lot of Christians' minds of, of places where the scriptures um, maybe um, are not totally sufficient. And so it's worth diving into this, this topic to, to build our confidence, um, in the word of God. And, and I picked up this book, I think it was probably like an Instagram find. I saw, I saw it pop up and I was like, you know, that looks like a short book. I think it might be helpful. Um, the book is called the Bible uncomplicated. It's by J- James Finke, Finke. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, I, I just read it. It was a very quick read. It's very easy to read, and it's made for you know people who are you know at the entry level people asking these questions. And so, if you're looking for a book that maybe unpacks this a little bit, um, helps helps kind of bolster confidence. I think that this might be a good starting point. I, I, there's certainly things that um, I, I wish maybe he could go in a little bit deeper, but I think he, he had a very specific audience um, in mind. And so I, I wanted to share a few things about this book and, and, and sort of, you know, m- maybe this 15, 20 minutes of what I got here with you can save you uh, a couple hours of reading the book. Um, but again, feel free to to go in it. And, and again, he does tackle a lot of these these claims of, you know, the Bible's anti-science, the Bible's full of, of um, racism. How can we trust the Bible if it's full of racism and uh, misogyny and sexism and, and all these things that, that we have, you know, I, I think actually what, what the Bible has led us to believe that are actually bad things for society. Um, and so it, it's interesting. We'll, we'll kind of get into that and unpack those things. Without going totally, you know, chapter by chapter here in, in his book, he uses this process as um, I think his, his professional background is that of a underwriter, which, you know, if you're working for an insurance company, um, underwriters sort of review um, and assess risk. And then they, they put um, put forward a, a dollar amount or, or a coverage system uh, that would rightly, um, you know, weighing the risks and assessing the facts. Um, sort of put forward a, a conclusive thing at the end of it. And so he uses this process. And and actually, one, one of the things that I think is most compelling um, when you're getting into this book is is when he talks about the collection of the scriptures. And, and he does this, um, he talks about the difference between Christianity and many other of the world religions. Um, and, and first he talks about consistency, um, because there are a lot of different contradictions in, in sacred writings, um, that contradicts itself within itself. And so, so you get you know, like the book of Mormon, for example, is just full of contradictions. Not only does it contradict itself, but it, it contradicts the scriptures, uh, like the Holy Bible. And so he makes this observation that many of these, um, these religions that, um, they, he, there's just some of the common common ground of, of some of these cultish sort of uh, religions, foreign religions. Um, he, he says, oftentimes with the books uh, that are written, many involve one individual who either one claims to have some sort of special revelation from God, two, um, this person writes it down, and three, uh, they convince others they should listen to him. So um, he's saying, listen, as 
as a as somebody who's av- made to evaluate risk, if you have one one test uh, one testimony, um, one person testifying, um, and, and that's it, that's all you're basing your your information on, then it's very easy to to get misled. In fact, this is one of the reasons why Scripture um, in, in the judicial system requires to have two or three witnesses to, to corroborate um, the information and to validate what has been observed. But a lot of times, like Joseph Smith, for example, and we just did a podcast uh, on on this on um, the Sacred City Life podcast. We're talking about cults, and so this is fresh in my mind. Um, in in the Mormon Church, uh, he basically went out to the woods, got a revelation, um, and then went to go dig up these tablets um, somewhere out in the middle of the woods again. Um, said he found them. He found a way to translate them um, with a, a special pair of glasses. And once he translated these golden tablets, he melted the gold tablets down, and then translate you, know, you translate it melted the tablets down and then now you have the book of mormon but no there's no way to validate there's no way to look and review any of his claims it's just you got to take him at his word and so a lot of times uh, many of, of these you know what are called sacred texts have like it just revolves around one person um and so it's, it's easy to be deceived by one person um, but the bible is different in the sense that it is it is a collection of holy books it's it's not just a book, but it com- it's composed of 66 different books that are written by over 40 authors. Um, and many of those people who wrote uh, in the Bible had never met each other. And these people come from all different kinds of backgrounds. You have kings, you have generals, you got tax collectors, fishermen, missionaries, doctors, historians, and more. And so you have this, you have educated and uneducated people. You have wealthy and and not wealthy people. You have people who um, culturally come from Greek, uh, Hebrew and Aramaic backgrounds, and they're in three different languages, so representing. So you've, you've got the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It's um, been written on three different continents. So you have Asia, Africa, and Europe that are represented um, from, from places where these texts are written at. And, and the book the book of the Bible, um, the books of the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible cover hundreds of topics and the writing has occurred over 1500 years. So here, here's the crazy thing. So, um, all of these authors that are writing, they have this, this unified message. The Bible has one cohesive story. And this is one of the things that a lot, a lot of people, you know, um, skeptics will push back. Well, you know, it's, it's a bunch of different stories that are saying different things. And it's like, well, no, when you zoom out, the Bible is one cohesive story. And what makes it incredible is that it, it has been composed over 1500 years and by 40 different authors, many of whom didn't even ever talk to each other. Um, and so you've got prophets, you, you've got the poets, you've got the historians, um, there's all kind. you've got the, the historical, uh, records, you've got all kinds of different people that are, are chiming in from different backgrounds, um, three languages, three continents, hundreds of topics, 1500 years, one cohesive story. And so this just points to, um, God's revelation, not just happening, um, with one person, you know, like one cult leader, but his, his revelation happening through a bunch of different people and it's all consistent. So there, there's a, a consistency in the me- message. There's a, a cohesiveness, um, in God's revelation. Now, of course, all of this revelation, uh, gets fulfilled and get summed up in the revelation of Christ, the word who puts on flesh. And so that, that, that is something that we go, okay, yeah, Christ ultimately reveals all these things, the word made flesh. Now, 
that's that's one of his most compelling arguments is is talking about the collection of scriptures. Like no other book has done that. No other book. In fact, um, if you read Rosaria Butterfield's book called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, um, she talks about um, she comes from a literary background. She was a, um, uh, a feminist, lesbian, like hardcore into the the left wing ideology, tenured literature profession, professor. And uh, what led to her conversion was not only spending time with Christians, um, sharing meals and talking, and, and, and she was able to ask questions and just observe the way they did life together, but was reading the Bible and seeing from like a literary perspective, just the uh, I don't know the the beauty of the Bible, the the literary genius of the Bible, and how it really literally is a work of God that uh, it came out the way that it did, um, and so that I think is one of the most compelling pieces of um, of this of of putting forward why we can trust the Bible is just the way that it's been composed, um, and and so. Um, Another thing that I think is really compelling, especially if this is somebody who's coming from maybe like a science background, um, there's this idea that science and the Bible are are pitted against one another. This is kind of an idea that that sort of was incited with Darwin and his his theory of evolution, which is a, it is a theory and it has been um, disproven um, and and not a viable it's not a viable worldview. And yet, unfortunately, so many people are are um, prone to believe in this, but, but what, what goes on here with the discussion between the Bible and science is, um, the, the Bible, so science has never proven the Bible wrong. What he says here is that, that the Bible is out in front of science, that, that, um, science has been developing and he gives a bunch of examples of how over, uh, the centuries, our views and understanding of the world, our, our ability to process information, things that we thought were true at one point, then, um, with more discovery, we find out that it's, that wasn't actually accurate. And so science is presented as this ever changing, ever evolving sort of understanding of the world. Yet as, as often as science changes through the generations, um, science has never proven the Bible wrong. The Bible is out ahead of the science. Um, and so it shows that, that we, the idea of following the science is not a helpful um, way to base your life because the science is always changing. The, the Bible, however, is is fixed. The Bible is concrete and it is the ultimate standard of truth. And, and, and it's not an anti-science position. In fact, what you see is that God's God's creation will never violate or, or stand against God's word. Now, we can there can be deceptions of it. There can be misunderstandings of it. But, but God is created the world according to his word. Um, and so we have to realize that, that those two things are going to testify, um, in the same direction. And, and so you get all these, so science gets wrapped up in here. You have the, the, how the composition of the Bible came. Another thing that he points out is the resilience of, of the scriptures. There is not a book that has been more scrutinized than the Bible, yet is still standing and continues. I mean, the scrutiny that it, it, it continues to receive to this day. And there have been so many efforts to undermine the word of God. Now, what, what you'll notice is 
you don't see the same kind of effort being exerted to disprove um, the Book of Mormon, um, for culturally speaking. They're, like, when's the last time you heard somebody um, taking offense to that in, in sort of a public, you know, whether it's through a news outlet or, or social media? Um, you don't see the same thing going on with the Quran. Um, you, you don't see other holy books um, from other religions getting the same kind of scrutiny that the Bible gets. Yet the Bible endures a lot of scrutiny, yet it still stands. And and one of the things that um, uh, uh, Spurgeon says is that the Bible is like, uh, God's word is like a lion. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, a lion doesn't need you to defend it. Like a lion can fend for itself, right? Um, and, and the same is true with God's word. It, it can undergo as much scrutiny as people can throw at it. And it's still going to persevere. It's going to be resilient and, and continue to, to, um, to show that uh, it is in fact reliable. And so the, there's all kinds of things that he works through in this process. And again, you can read through it. I don't want to break these down. I'm just trying to share some of the most, um, most interesting things that, that really stand out to me. And, and piece, a piece of this too, I mean, it kind of ties into the, the science part of things, but, but there have been so many um, archaeological digs. There have been so, so much um, advancement and collection of ancient artifacts. And the more that we collect, um, the more clear we get on why we can rely on the Bible. There, there's all kinds of, of um, well, we'll talk about this in how, um, let me just read this. Here's a quote from, from Pastor Vodi Bakum. He says, um, there have been 25,000 archaeological digs related directly to the subject matter in the Bible. Not one has contradicted the Bible. The overwhelming majority have confirmed and affirmed something in the Bible, whereas archaeology has been catastrophic for other religions. It continues to corroborate the evidence for the Bible. So this is something that, that okay, we look at what historically what we can collect. We see what, what had has been passed down through the generations and when we go back to uh, the ancient writings, we find great reasons to believe. And, and there are not only um, biblical texts and manuscripts that have been collected from, from um, as 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 early as the the early second century, um, and 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 sometimes some would suggest late first century, um, depending on what the text is. Um, but there are other non-Christian uh, writers, historians that have have. Um, verified the some of the claims of of Christianity um, and they and they do so sort of not to not from a Christian perspective but just as a, a historical perspective and one of the most um, popular and relied upon is the Jewish historian named Josephus um, and he, he's verified a lot of things that that the Bible testifies about specifically about Jesus and the early church and so um, th- there's a great deal of, of ancient uh, ancient artifacts that, that point to, um, the consistency of scripture from, from its inception to what we have now. And then the other thing that is interesting about this is just the pure volume of artifacts, the pure volume of things that have been written about Jesus, about the early church. Um, and, and so like, for example, um, he, he brings us up that, um, he says, we must understand that, that Tiberius Caesar, the Roman emperor at the time. So this is a, a highly prolific guy. He, he's literally the ruler of the world. Rome was the most powerful nation state um, in the world at this time. Um, he was only referenced by 10 ancient off- authors. Now compare that to Jesus. 
Jesus was referenced by 42 sources in total, or, or in other words, that's four times more than Tiberius Caesar. Um, and so that this like crazy, some, some irrelevant guy, Jesus, some, uh, the son of a poor carpenter living out in a no, no, no name town, um, rises to, to some sort of public purview and, and literally his name and his fame is spread throughout the world. It just eclipses Tiberius Caesar. I mean, you probably don't even know anything that Tiberius Caesar did, did but if you go down the street, you can ask somebody about Jesus and, and it's likely that they're going to be able to give you a better answer to, to tell me about Jesus than they will be able to say, tell me about Tiberius Caesar. And, and so there's just this incredible volume of, of works that have surfaced through history, through archaeological digs um, that have verified, that have pointed to. um, And and then the other point is uh, just like the manuscripts, this ties into this as well. We have way more manuscripts of the scriptures than we have manuscripts of anything else. Nobody, no, nobody questions the, the authenticity of, of writings like, uh, Homer or Plato, um, or Caesar. No, nobody is like, well, we don't, we don't really know if they said that. Now, I don't think anybody's actually saying that those come from God's mouth. Like it is actually the word of God. And so I'll give you that point, but we've never, uh, we've never questioned the legitimacy of some of these old books um, that have been copied and, and, and recopied throughout the ages. Um, but there's not as many copies of those as there are the scriptures. In fact, the Bible has more manuscripts and earlier manuscripts than the next best 10 pieces of classical literature combined. There is way more quality data of manuscripts, of copies uh, of the original documents that are circulating, that have been discovered. And and what this allows us uh, to do with the more, um, with more and earlier manuscripts, it allows us to get closer to the original text. And this is one of the things that um, if you remember, when, when I posted about, um, why, why, uh, we opted to not preach the woman who was caught in adultery. There, there's debate about if that was written by the apostle John. Um, uh, and you can go read that post on, on church center. If you want to d- dive into that more, or we can talk about it. Um, but it, it, it was this idea of like, okay, um, we have the earliest manuscripts that show that this was not included in John's gospel. In fact, um, m- most people don't believe most people believe that it was not written by John. Um, it wasn't part of his gospel originally. It just kind of later got inserted in it. It was probably a true eyewitness account of what happened. Um, but, but we have the early manuscripts that show us that it wasn't included in the earliest manuscripts. And so we're able to get a better picture. So here's the thing. Um, the earlier and more manuscripts we get, the more clarity that we have with what the text actually says. So here he lays out a bunch of evidence as to why um, the Bible is is worth trusting. You you have all kinds of evidence. You have all kinds of things that point to you've got this incredible amount of volume. You've got the ability that's never been totally refuted. There's nothing there's nothing that's been proven wrong in scripture through science. Now there, there's attacks from science against the Bible, but but it's all theory. Like Darwin's theory of evolution is just a theory. Um, and, and it, if you follow it all the way out, it's such a, a silly theory, um, especially if you operate from a Christian biblical worldview. Now, th- there's some presuppositions involved there. You, you have a underlying faith commitment to come to that conclusion, but it's not hard to see, even from a natural perspective, that that something cannot come from nothing, that you cannot get an, an, an inanimate object. First of all, 
to, to go from nothing to an inanimate object, then to have that object that's not alive to then produce life is such a bizarre thing that you just, uh, it's like, how are we not all just laughing at this idea? Um, and so, uh, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pause right here. I'm already like 30 minutes into this, but, um, laying out for you some of the reasons why we can trust the Bible based on the evidence, based on the things that are available to us and the host of, of, of witnesses that, that testify, uh, to this reality. Now, I hope you tune back in part two. We're going to work through some of the, some of the common objections and arguments here about the Bible um, that a lot of people try to use to undermine our trust and reliance in it. And so I hope you come back and join me for the next episode of Sacred City Vision Drip. Love you guys. Can't wait to worship with you on Sunday morning. <laughs>